Hey, this is Matt Cox, and I want to talk about a second channel that I just started, which is called uh, Inside the Darkness. So I'm a huge fan of uh, Soft White Underbelly, right? Like I've been on Soft White Underbelly. I, I, I love the format of Soft White Underbelly. Uh, spoke with when I went out to Los Angeles and I, I did one of uh, I did an episode with him and or an interview with Mark um, we had talked extensively about his his setup and how he did it and and the thing about Mark is and by the way there's a great interview with him with Danny on uh, concrete uh, where he goes all into his background and everything look the, the guy is like just amazing he's just his the cinematography is just phenomenal the interviews are great um and and so i talked to him a lot about about his channel and about what he was doing and and i really enjoyed the format my my problem is with his channel in general is that you know he's he's interviewing like you know homeless people drug addicts prostitutes and and although the interviews are great. The cinematography is great. It's it's a great concept. I don't really have all that much interest in what's going on with you know with those people. I I don't I'm not I'm not able to empathize with their plight. I don't have a drug problem. Uh, I I'm typically uh, able to kind of function in society. So. You know their their issues are not my issues, so I have a hard time uh, getting through those interviews. Although they are great, listen and and I mean you know he he shoots them beautifully. They're 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 almost like works of art. If you haven't checked out his channel, you really should check it out. So I remember I, as we were talking, and and he was talking about how he had problems getting monetized, and that the videos weren't making money. Not that the videos for him are about making money. They're they're not. Like for him it's a mission. Like he's basically retired. He's made probably uh I believe he's probably a multimillionaire. He's made a ton of money, had an amazing career, and towards the end of his career he just decided this was something he had to do. So he started the YouTube channel Soft White Underbelly. Well, and of course he's got all the other media uh going. He's got TikTok, he's got um Instagram. He ha- he has all the other platforms covered too. So what I thought was great was I loved the idea of just sitting somebody in a chair with a nondescript black uh, background. I chose a black background uh, for my channel and just have them tell their story in their own words, you know, which I think is great because it, it's so uh, it, it just it, it shows someone just that they're most vulnerable, you know, where they have to explain their life and lay out their life in their own words without being prompted and it's extremely difficult to do most people can't do it and if you think about it if somebody asked you right now who are you what would you say like it's difficult to come up with who you are or why you're there or you know even if it was just unless it's really a story of some kind and typically most people can kind of struggle out a story so what I did was I thought, what's what's interesting to me about his channel and those interviews is when he interviews, like, let's say, criminals, and they tell you about something they've done. Obviously, I'm fascinated by criminals. And so what I decided to do was I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take that one element of the people 
and the interviews, and I'm going to do a channel that's based solely on just people that have committed crimes and their lives. And so I took I took my one of my my spare room, and I lined the entire room in in with black curtains. You know the so. Actually, I went to Walmart. Did I tell you this? I went to Walmart and I bought like six black sheets. So I lined the whole uh, um, the walls with black sheets and the ground with black sheets. And I have two cameras set up and I have a stool. And what I do is, af- typically after I interview someone at my in my studio, I say, "Look, you know, I got another channel, and I think it'd be interesting to have that channel and have." Have you on that channel without me being involved so that people are just, it's you telling your story just about yourself. And the reason I like to do that is that that way they've already told their story and they kind of have a, a, a way, they, an understanding of how their story lays out. Once they've been interviewed by me, I've kind of said, hey, tell me about your childhood. Okay, where were you born? How'd this happen? Well, how'd you get involved with this? Well, what happened? And now in their mind, they're kind of like, okay, well, these were the points that he was interested in. Let me go ahead and just, tell those points kind of chronologically go over my story and lay it out sometimes it takes 30 minutes sometimes the guys talk for an hour and 30 minutes well i i obviously i have them sit down and go over the whole thing and then i edit the videos i take some what i think i take some very some decent uh photographs and i pepper those photographs throughout the the inner or the video and I edit the video where some people get up, go off on tangent tangents and that is what that's what that channel is about uh, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna play one of those videos now so that you guys can see the layout or kind of how it's how it's laid out and the format of one of those videos and this is a video that was a guy that I'd actually interviewed maybe a year ago. I always I was just fascinated by him because look, he didn't rob the most banks. I, I know a guy who robbed like 40 banks. This guy's name is Rob. Rob Rob. Rob robbed 10 banks. I think and two armored trucks. But I was fascinated because he really kind of connects with Batman and he's got a Batman tattoo and he, he loves Batman. And so I, I thought it was, it was interesting. It was an interesting uh, story. He loves telling the story, which a lot of people can't stand telling their own stories. Uh, my, my girlfriend did one, Jess, she did an interview and it was pulling teeth. She hated it. She doesn't want to be in front of the camera. She doesn't want to talk. She doesn't want to be a part of it. It's really, it's it's a struggle. Some people just are not great at telling their story. Or even if they're good at it, they just don't want to tell it. So I've, I've got, I've had, I've, I've interviewed about 10 people so far. And I'm continuing to interview people. And I'm trying to get it to a point where I can interview all the time where I can get a, a new video up every single week. And I think I can continue. I think I can maintain that. Well, anyway, this is the video. I had interviewed Rob, and I asked Rob to come back and do an interview and tell the story just by himself, and he did. And that interview is the interview I'm about to play. And check out the interview. He does a great job telling it. It's a good interview. 
And if you like the interview, do me a favor and please subscribe to the channel because I need subscribers. I need people to watch the videos. I'm going to leave the link for the for the channel in the description. So the link for the channel will be in the description. You just tap on it. It'll bring you right there and subscribe. So here's the interview. I hope you like it. Please leave a comment. Let me know what you think. Check this out. Just introduce yourself, who you are. And... Gotcha. All right. Hey, how are you doing? My name is Robert Edwards. I'm born in Tampa, Florida. So I've always wanted to tell this story. Um, basically, my childhood leading to where I got to as far as my my criminal record to where I'm at today. I was born in 1967, December 23rd, named after my grandmother. Her name's Roberta, and they named me Robert. I started going to Lois Elementary. I went to Lois Elementary School. From there, I went to Bryan Sixth Grade Center which is on Hillsborough and 30th Street, if I'm not mistaken, 32nd, Hillsborough and 32nd. And then from there, I went to Sly, Greco, and King High School. Um, as growing up as a kid, all the way through high school, I never had any interaction with any police officers, never had any criminal record, child um, criminal record, or any kind of juvenile record, or anything of that nature. Um, I played football for Temple Terrace um, independently. I played for the Wildcats. I played for the Cougars, and also I played for the Lions. Um, I probably was one of the favorite or best player on the team. I played running back and also free safety. Um, I stayed in the, the paper, Tampa, Timber Terrace paper, Tampa Tribune, uh, one of the fastest guys in the league, um, the most touchdown, most kickoff returns, punt returns. And then I went off to King High School. So I started my first year at King High School, and that was the time that they were building Armwood, and they were doing uh, – school changes, sending kids from Keene because it was overpopulated to the new the new school, which was Armwood. And I decided, hey, you know, I needed a change, so I decided to go to Armwood. I went to Armwood, stayed there for two years. First year at Keene, two years at Armwood. I was the first class graduation at Armwood, I think in 1986, if I'm not mistaken. I went from there. I started working. I worked for Casa Gallardo, which was a Mexican restaurant. That was my first job ever, working at Casa Gallardo. I quit that job and started working for Cash and Carry. At the time, Cash and Carry was one of our first grocery stores, or one of our only, well, it was Cash and Carry, Winn-Dixie, and um, I'm not sure Publix was around. I don't remember, but I, I know Cash and Carry was our main store here in Tampa. I had worked there for approximately six months before they asked me if I wanted to be 
GTL, which is grocery team leader. And I, I was undecided about wanting to move up because um, I would have to come in at midnight at night and have to stay until it was an over the night job. At that time, I, I really didn't want to work that time of night, be out from 12 to 8, 9 in the morning. So I decided against it right then. So I kept working on the stock crew for the next two to three, three months. He came to me again and asked me if I wanted to be GTL. And he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. At the time, I think I started out with like ten seventy-five an hour, and he offered me $13 an hour. And I decided to take the job. So I took the job and um, enjoyed working there. Um, I got promoted from there like a year later to another store, which was on Hillsboro and Armenia, the cash and carry there. I got promoted to a bigger store, which moved me to grocery manager from GTL, from um, team leader to grocery manager, which was more money. Um, I think they started paying me salary. So now this is where it starts to take off for me as far as my interaction with people, as far as me starting to change who I was, was as far as a person because I never had any problem with people before, but um, this particular store, the store manager had already picked someone to be in the position that the general manager or the regional manager put me into his store, but he already had someone he wanted to put in in that store, in that um, position. So when I got there, his name was Joe LaBarber, and he was the store manager for Cash and Carry on Hillsboro and Armenia. He gave me a hard time. Um, why? I mean, one of my reasons was because he wanted to put this other guy in that position. Two, because really after getting to know him and seeing how he was, I figured that he had a problem with people of color. So um, we were getting ready to have a bank open inside the store. This is when the grocery store started having banks come in and you know people were able to, able to do their banking inside of the grocery departments and inside, inside of grocery stores. Well. We were one of the first stores to get a bank in it, and um, I had just had a truck come in. My guys put the the stock up on the shelf, and I had a uh, my store manager, Joe LaBarber, leave me a note. I think we came in at midnight. He left me a note saying, Robert, in the morning, if the store is not aced out, I'm going to have your ass because it's an important day. We're having a grand opening for this bank and the store better be aced out. So I'm looking at the letter. I'm like, damn, who, who the hell are you talking to like that? I'm like, this for a store manager, this isn't, how you, this isn't very professional. This, is, this isn't how you talk to people. So I was like, man, you know what? And, and we had an overnight officer, which was a black officer because it was a 24 hour store. We had an officer working there, so I showed him the letter. I said, hey, look, man, look what the store manager left for me. And he read the letter. He's like, man, that's crazy. He's like, if I was you, I'll keep that letter. So I took that letter, folded it up, and I put it in my glove compartment. So as time went by, you know, 
um, things with me and that manager wasn't getting any better. It was getting worse. Um, this guy really was trying to get rid of me. He was trying to get me to quit or, you know, or trying to make it that me and him have some kind of altercation that I was going to have to be fired or whatever. So about two, three months went by and I went to the store. I had that day before off and I think it might have been like a Friday and I came in on Saturday. So I went to the store, which, you know, I had got promoted to the one on Hillsborough and Amenia. So when I got in the store, you know, I'm getting ready to clock in, you know, get ready to do our thing. And the manager who was on at that time was just like a front end manager. He told me, hey, Rob, um, they transfer you. You don't you don't work here anymore. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, they transfer you back to the other store that you came from. They say they needed you over there. So I like, damn, okay, cool. I like, no one even called to tell me to inform me that I'm no longer working here, that I got transferred. I was like, man, this shit is crazy. I said, okay, cool. So I left out of the store, so I went over to the other store that I had got transferred from for to. You know, I transferred back over to the old store. So I went in there, and they had their front-end manager on. They're like, hey, Rob, hey, welcome back. Hey, man, I'm glad to see you. What's going on? He's like, oh, let me tell you before you get started. Um, two of your guys called in sick. Um, John wants you to pull all the back stock out from the back and work everything from the back. And um, you have a truck call coming in with a 1,000 pieces on it. Now, this is my first day back to this store. And this guy is telling me that I had two guys that called in sick. I'm already shorthanded. They got a thousand piece truck coming in and they have like 20 pallets of back stock in the back that they wanted me to pull out on the floor and go through. So when I went to the back, I looked at all that back stock. It was just pallets of stuff that they ordered that couldn't go on the shelf at the time that they had to just stack it on pallet and they wanted me to pull it all out. And I'm already pissed off because I got transferred back over to this store without even being told so I say, you know what, I'm young. I think at the time I was like 21 years old. I like, man, I ain't doing this. I'm going to quit. So I, wipe, I walked back up to the front. As I was walking back up to the front, I was walking through produce, and there was a Spanish kid who worked with me when I worked there before. And he was like, hey, Rob, hey, man, what's going on? I like, man, they just sent me back over here, man, all that shit in the back. Man, look, man, I'm not doing it. I like, I'm quitting, man. He's like, you quitting? I like, I'm quitting. He's like, man, if you quit, I'm quitting. I like, you quit. I, you can't quit, man. Come on, man. He's like, yeah, if you quit, I'm quitting. I like, man, I'm, I'm quitting, man. I ain't doing this shit. So I walked back up to the front and I asked the front end manager, I said, hey, let me out, buddy. He's like, oh, would you left something in your car? You need to go to your car to get something out your car. I'm like, no, nah, I quit, man. I'm not doing it. He started laughing. He's like, man, you're not quitting, man. You make more money than me with your overtime. He's like, you're going to quit for real? I was like, yeah, I'm quitting. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm quitting too. And he said, I can understand you're quitting, but Rob, you're quitting. And I was like, yeah, open the door, let me out. So when the man opened up the door, we walked out the door and... When I walked out, it kind of like hit me. I'm like, damn, am I really quitting? I just quit my job. I'm like, man, what do you want to do? 
So next to that cash and carry that was on Hillsborough and I mean um, Del Maber in 275, there was a ABC liquor store. I said, man, let's go to ABC. I'm not even a drinker, but for what just went down, I just felt like I wanted to drink something. So we went over to the ABC liquor store and we got a six pack of Slits Malt Liquor Bull, the tall cans. We got that and we got back in the car and we drove across the street, which was um, Mons Venus. Mons Venus is um, is a, like a nudie bar. Joe Redner owned it. And um, we we pulled over there. We sat in the parking lot and drunk like two apiece. And from just two of those tall cans of Slits Malt Liquor Bull, I was like twisted so we ended up going in we sat at the stage we went inside of the mom's being and we, just, we sat at the stage and just you know just enjoyed ourselves right then and just you know watch girls and and just chill and in the back of my mind i'm still thinking man you're stupid you just quit your job your mom's gonna kill you so um uh, from there we ended up leaving um, I gave him a ride back home to his house and went home, jumped in the bed, and I thought, laid in the bed, like, damn, I don't have a job. Where am I going to get my source of income from? And, you know, I mean, I have never, had never thought about doing crime or committing any kind of heinous act. I just, from that point there, it kind of, like, hit me. You know what? This is what I'm gonna do. They pissed me off. I'm going back. So I waited a week until all the money that I had in my pocket and my check, I think I had just received my check and I had to give my mom probably like half of the check. <laughs> and um, I put a plan together. I got up a few guys that I knew and I said, you know what? I wanna go back and hit that store. I wanna hit that store. I wanna go and do woo 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 and this is what we're gonna do. I know everything to lay out inside and out. So we 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 got everything we need, all the necessary material, all the equipment that it was gonna to take to pull it off. And um that morning, which was like on a, a Friday, I wanted to hit it when I thought that it had the most money inside the customer service and the most money inside of the, the safe. So I I hashed up a plan for one guy to go over to the produce area because I know there was a phone in there and I know I didn't want anyone getting to that phone. And one guy washed the door and one guy went up to the customer service with me. So um we we um went uh achieved my goal. I went inside um approximately like 9 30 10 o'clock in the morning when i know it wouldn't be that busy but everything would be on hand um i successfully pulled it off made it back i think we probably got like fifteen thousand, seventeen thousand, or something from from that that um the heist um so i divided that that money up amongst us I think it was four people. I divided that money up and uh, I went about my business. So once that money was spent, I said, you know what? We're gonna go do the other one. So 
I got my guys together and we decided we we're going to go do the other one. And I went to the one on Hillsboro and Amenia and I also did that one. Um, the craziest thing about this one was that I took every coin that was in the safe. I took all the bills. It was like, I'll say like six, seven hundred dollars in ones. Um, there was like five hundred dollars in quarters, a couple hundred dollars in dimes, nickels and pennies. But the reason why I say that because on the way out, I had so much weight inside the duffel bag, it was hard for me to get it on my shoulder to try to get it out the door. So one of the guys was trying to help me. I had um, um, a bag boy trying to uh, intervene, trying to stop us or something, but my guy, you know, did what he had to do to keep him from intervening. And um, by the time I made it to the car, got the bag in there, made it to the second car, it was a wrap. But as time as time went from there, I, I did end and not jobs. Um, I worked at car dealerships. I worked at Ed Morris Cadillac probably from the year from 90, 91, 92, 93. I started my bank robbery career around 93, 94. And I got in that just simply by my brother-in-law. Knew a guy who wanted to rob a bank. Now, I, you know, growing up as a kid, you hear people say, oh yeah, I want to rob a bank, man. The only way you got to rob a bank, you got to rob a bank to get that kind of money out here. And I was like, damn, robbing a bank. If you rob a bank, you'd be a millionaire, man. You know, you know that's the mentality you had growing up as a kid, as a young adult. So, my brother-in-law, my brother-in-law came to me one day. He was like, "Hey, man, check this out. I know this guy, man. This white guy. He want to rob a bank. You know, he looking for somebody. He know uh, easy lick." I was like, "Yeah. Bring him to me. I want to know. I want to meet him. Bring him over here." So like two days later, he brought the guy over. You know, we sat and talked for a minute. Um, he told me about the bank. Um, you know, I said I want to see it. Take me to it. So he take me to the bank. Um, I was trying to see what the people were doing because it looked like they had to be buzzed in. I was like, they got to be buzzed in. The first bank I did was the one on Hillsboro in Havana. I think it was Florida Bank or uh, something, something similar to that. It wasn't a big name brand bank or big branch. It was just like a, a independent, a small bank. But anyway, you had to be buzzed to get in. I was like, man, man, look, I don't want to do no bank. You got to be buzzed to get in. How you? What about you? Got to be buzzed to get out. He like, no, no, no. I already been in. You, don't, you, you don't have to worry about that. Once you get in, you. I like, are you serious? He like, yeah, bro, man. It's gonna be easy, man. I like, fuck it, let's do it. So he's like, I'm gonna get the cars and everything, and then woo woo. I was like, I'll get the scraps and I'll get everything else, you know, we, we're gonna handle this. So we picked the day, which was gonna be on a Friday, and we picked that day because we felt like that's the day that the most money would be in the bank, in the tellers, because Friday is normally check cashing day. So we, you know, we felt like that'd be the best day to do it. So, um, 
I pick him up around 10, 10.30 or so. I wanted to make sure I'm around there hitting the bank around, like around right before lunchtime when I feel like people was going to come and be doing their thing, getting a check cash, and it was going to be the, the, the most amount of money in the tellers at that time. So I picked him up. We go get our first vehicle, you know, a stolen vehicle that um, he used a screwdriver to get. I think it was a Mustang 5.0. <laughs> it was. It was a Mustang 5.0 with like a hellacious engine and it was all souped up and everything. So we go get in, this, in, this, in the first car and this, our second car was a Nissan Maximum that I had we had got from Nissan or Tampa or something. We had keys to it and everything. So we had parked that behind the Publix because it was in like a public shopping center and the bank set up on the corner of Hillsborough in Havana. So we're on our way heading west on Hillsborough right before Armenia. I got me, my other guy, and and the person who originally wanted to do the bank and sitting in the car with me. So when we pull up the Hillbird and the Mina, this guy, we already ready. We got the gloves on, we got the mat, we got the scrap, we, we you know, we got the bag, we ready, we finna get down. Soon we pull up the Hillsborough and the Mina, this guy tells me, he starts crying, he starts crying, Look, no Rob, man, I can't do this, man, I can't do it, man. No, I'm on probation. No, I'm on probation with the feds, man. I can't do this, man. Uh, if something happened, man, I'm going to go away forever. I looked at him like, damn, hold on. Just chill. I'm thinking in the back of my head, is this some shit? I said, Dana, what's that? What you, what's up, bud? What you want to do? He like, man, whatever, rah, rah, whatever you want to do, I'm going to do it. I said, fuck it, come on. I pulled over to him. There was a little Crystal's hamburger right down the corner, like a me and Hillsboro. There's a Crystal. So I pulled into there, I dropped him off, bam. I said, just wait right here, man. We're going to do this. So me and Dana, Dana Greg jumped up in the front seat with me. We pulled out of Crystal. We pulled up to the bank. So when we pulled up to the bank, we got dark tinted windows on the Mustang. So we sitting out front, and we're waiting to try to get in because I know you have to be buzzed in. So I said, Dana, you see these two old people right here? As soon as they get that door open, when they go, they buzz in, he gonna hold the door open. We going in, bam. He said, all right, so we waiting for people. They walking real slow, they walked up there. As soon as they pull the door open, they go in, me and Dana out of the car. Bam, I'm the first one in the door behind the people. Dana pushed them on in, he stood at the door. I'm over the counter, bam, I'm hitting all the tail. Now check it, this is my first bank it happened so fast, but in slow motion that I can almost remember everything that happened. I can remember Dana standing by the door. There was a little kid trying to run out the door. He kept him from running out the door. I can remember, even though I'm at the tellers pulling all the tellers, even at the drive-through, I can remember the bank manager walking through with just like, with a graceful walk, just saying, just give them whatever they want. Don't do anything, whatever they want, just do whatever they say. So I'm still handling my business, doing what I'm supposed to do, and then Dana like, let's go, let's go. Boom, I jumped back across the counter. Boom, we out there, jumped in the car, went around the back of public where I had the second vehicle at, bam. See, the reason why I, I parked the car behind Publix because 
I wanted to give them a sense that I was driving down Havana because they're going to see me coming out driving down Havana heading south. But I dipped behind the Publix, jumped into my second vehicle, and came out on Hillsborough and proceeded to go down Hillsborough heading east. So I'm going to have all the police, oh, they went that way. I'm having them looking that way when actually I'm in the second vehicle in a totally different car, totally different color, heading in the opposite direction. So anyway, um, Craig had a ride. He met me back at my house. Um, we counted up the money that we had, and Craig was like, man, I can't believe it, man. You did it, man. I can't believe it. Man, I can't believe it. So this is the guy who started crying at the red light on I mean, who didn't want to do it. Even though he didn't participate, I still broke him off. I think I got like $8,700, $8,700 out of the first one. Very disappointing to me. But nevertheless, I think I gave him like 500 600 bucks just for being there. Plus, I wanted to make him a part of it. Even though he didn't participate, I wanted to make him a, a part of it that way. He don't run his mouth, he don't tell, even though that was going to happen anyway. After that, I was like, damn, my people were like, man, that was easy, man. We're going we gonna to have to do another one. So I waited approximately like maybe like three, four months, and we scouted out to do another one. Um, my very second one, I did off uh, I-4, I mean, um, 4th Street exit off of Gandhi in St. Pete. Man, really nice. I think I crossed like 47,000. I took like 47,000 out of there, somewhere around there, 35,000, 47,000. <laughs> it was all the same to me. Um, that particular one there, we were just, I just wanted to do something away from Tampa because it was already hot from the one before. So I decided I'm gonna go across the bridge. We went across the bridge. I seen it right there, it was a nice location. It was right off of Gandhi and I, um, 4th Street. Jumped back on Gandhi, do my little thing, nice. So we got all the, all the material, everything, all the tools we needed to pull the job off, two cars, whatever, went over there. And um, we did it, it was really easy. Now this particular bank right here, what I can what I can remember that's really outstanding to me is that in the process of me grabbing all the money and, and, and getting the tellers, hitting the tellers, I can remember there was about three or four college kids who was stand, standing in line and waiting to see the teller. And I can just remember them saying, oh, fuck, all right, all right, go, 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 hell yeah, yeah, buddy, go, go, go. And I was like, damn. So anyway, I hit them, which was a good, pretty good lick. I think I got somewhere between like 37,000, 40,000 or something like that out of there. And um, made it to the second car, came back across the bridge, across Gandhi, and came to the house and divided them among the guys who I was with. And um, they went their separate ways. Now, I, uh, 
it, it wasn't like it was something planned. It wasn't like that I wanted to make this a thing or I wanted to be a bank robber or do banks all my life. It was just something that happened out of the blue. It was just something that I had been doing other things that wasn't really paying off. I mean, my brother-in-law once, he's like, hey, man, I know this guy got like 10 pounds of weed. He got like $20,000 in his house. And, and boom, you know, I, I know he, I seen it in there last night. Or I seen it in there last week or whatever. I'm like, man, you sure, man? So I used to do little things like that. And and it wasn't paying up when I got there, man. I'll tear the fucking house up, do whatever I had to do to try to find it wasn't there. So I had to end up fucking getting steaks out the fridge or, or fucking uh, lobsters or brand-new Jordans or Nikes or something just to make up for the time that I don't spent trying to find this money, which wasn't there. So I just got tired, and I said to myself, man, you know what? I'm putting my life and freedom in jeopardy. Going to all these places ain't paying out. I need to do something that I know it's going to be money. It's there. That's their job to have it there. And that was decided. That what made me decide to. If I'm going to do something, I got to do it where it's at. If I'm going to take this risk, I got to make sure it's worth it. So that's why I was like, you know, I'm not messing with no more of these petty drug dealers. These bitches don't got shit. I'm going to go right where the money's at. So I had did that for a while and um, end up by my my fifth my fifth bank. I um, I wanted to do something big. I wanted I wanted I wanted to like not take over the bank because I still was on a time limit. But I wanted to get the most, and this was the first time I ever used two people, two guys to go over the counter. It always was me because I know what I'm looking for, I'm moving rapidly, I don't want no problem. So I always was the one to get the money, but this time I wanted to use two because I felt like I'm gonna get double the amount. So um, I scoped out this one bank, it was like on Line Ball and Anderson Road or somewhere down there, I think it was like uh, Bank of America, no, uh, whatever it was, it doesn't matter. Um, so I felt like it was a pretty good had apartment complex set across the road. I can put my second car there. I can make it look like I'm going this way. I can, I can pretty much do the same thing and give them the illusion that I'm heading in one direction when I'm, I'm going to the other one. So I got my crew together. We got all the vehicles, the things that we was going to need to be able to pull it off successfully. And we headed that away. So when we got there, pull up in the driveway in the parking and right in front of the bank we was in a minivan and the reason why I started using minivans because it's easy for you to be able to change your clothes stand up in the back of it change your clothes and um, do what you have to do without being seen sliding door easy access to get out you have multiple people so it was easy to start trying to climb across seats and cars so we always use minivans for our first vehicle so when we pulled up to this bank, which was like approximately like 9.30 in the morning, 
it was really nice. So when I pulled up to the front of the bank and decided this was the time to go in, I was the first person through the door on the counter. When I jumped over on top of the counter, there was money scattered all over the counter. And what I figured and I found out is that Wells Fargo had just uh, made a drop off at that bank and the, the ladies was counting the bills and they had it all on the counter laid out. So on top of the counter, I'm on the counter with my bag just getting all the bills off the counter. So I had another person also with me getting money while I had the other two people holding people at bay. We getting the money, we getting the money, we getting the money. This guy's getting the money. I jumped down because I got all of everything out of the count off, off the top of the counter. Now I'm hitting the drawers. We getting the money, we getting the money. Boom. My guy says it's time to go. We jump over it back across the counter to head out, to proceed outside the bank. And when we, we got back in the van, I'm the driver, always the driver. I pulled to exit from the bank on to Anderson. I was heading south so I was making a right on the Anderson and I was going to make a really quick once I made that bend out of the, out of the um, view from the bank they couldn't see me once I made that bend I was going to dip into the apartment complex real quick and change it to my second car soon as we pulled outside the bank the guy who went across the counter with me was sitting in the front seat as soon as I went to make that turn I just seen a inside of the car he had took a wad of 20s, which was approximately like $2,000, if I'm not mistaken, 2000 or 5000 something like that. He took a wad of 20s that had a dye pack in it, and he shoved it in his pants. He was trying to cuff, cuff me. He was trying to keep, steal from us. <laughs> he was just trying to get that for himself. But little did he know that that was a die pack it blew up in his pants and he was over there sitting while i'm driving trying to get away from the bank we just robbed this bank this guy's sitting there like huh what is fuck look what i want i like what what the fuck i was like pull it out pull it out and he had a bunch of burnt up 20s and smoke coming out i said throw it out the window so he rolled the window down he threw it out the window i'm like damn what happened how the fuck that happened and he was like Man, I was just I just grabbed it, I just put it there because of my bag had filled and I just put it in my van and put it right there and I was like, oh don't worry about it, okay, let's ride. So we went to the second vehicle. I'm thinking like this motherfucker was trying to cuff a whole stack of twenties and the shit blew up in his pants. And the first thing I told him was, watch out for the twenties, especially the ones over to the far left. Most of the time it's gonna be die pack. And he grabbed it not paying attention and it blew up in his pants. But anyway. We got out of that, which was a nice lick because it was, it was, it was, you know, a substantial amount of money that was laying on the counter. So I probably ended up with like 50, 60 grand from there. Um, went back to our house, uh, hired out, and uh, divided it amongst the four people who participated in the bank robbery. So, uh, as time went, you know, I, I had enough money for that for a period, for a long period of time that I, I wasn't really worried about doing anything for a minute. And, you know, I was just chilling out, just doing my little thing, selling a couple of little sacks of weed here and there, and uh, just trying to stay out of the way, stay out of trouble. And uh, one day, maybe like, I don't know, six, seven months, I had someone come up to me. And he said, hey, man, I know these guys who want to rob the armored car. 
And I was like, man, shit. <laughs> An armor car? I was like, I ain't really interested in doing the armor car until he told me, man, the guy works on the car. He's going to be real easy. He works for the company. He's going to... I was like, for real? Oh, shit. Okay, I want to talk to him. Let me talk to him. So he brought him over, and um, it was like a Jamaican guy who works for Wells Fargo. I think when he brought him over, the guy even had the Wells Fargo uniform on him. Something I can't, something in that nature. I remember seeing a Wells Fargo uniform. But anyway, he was like, yeah, man, you know, he driving a brand new Porsche. He had been taking little individual packs of money from other carts thrown in in his carts when he had to go to Wells Fargo, I guess. I, I, don't, I can't remember what the setup, but he was telling me some shit like, when you have to get his cart, sometimes, you know, it's not watching the way you, you know, you angle yourself. You can s slide a, a pack of money or off of one of the bins and put it in yours, and you just got to remember which one it is. And he used to, like, take the cart, load up his truck, and he put to the side the one he took from somebody else's bin. And then when he go to make his drops and stuff, he get to, like, a like a Publix or, or some type of grocery store or, a convenience store, he'll go in the bathroom and hide it in, in, into the garbage bag, call his brother up and have his brother, hey, man, you got to get over there real quick and get this money. I just put $50,000 cash inside the bathroom, inside public bathroom. I'm like, why? Are you serious? You used to do that. He had did it like three or four times. So that's how he bought the Porsche. So anyway... I said, yeah, man, tell me about the lick. So he tell me about the lick. Yeah, 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 it's going to be easy. It's like about, you would get it like 250000 All right, then I want to see it. So the following day, he came and scooped me up, picked me up, and we decided to go and check out this lick. So this lick was over in St. Pete. Now, they had took an old bank and converted it into something they called the money store. And this is a, a building that used to be a bank, and all the armored car drivers, that's where they pull money from to take to other banks or other facilities and stuff. So that's why they call it the money store, because that's the only thing they did was house money and and load up armored cars to deliver money to other facilities. So he took me over there, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. I see the guy come out with the money. So I see him throwing it in the back of the armored car. So I'm like, okay, what will we do? I will pull up from the side, catch him from the side when he got his back to me. So as I'm watching, seeing it from a distance, I, I'm putting my thoughts together, my plan together, how would I pull it off? Always going to be two cars, going to be this, going to be that. I got to need this, need that. So I was like, yeah, man, we can do it. So we went by head back to Tampa, and um, we decided we were going to do it. <laughs> so we um, we meet up like two days later. We meet up like two days later. We have everything we need. We got the minivan, we got the second vehicle. 
I think it was even a third, we had a, even a third vehicle. Um, I even had a particular group of people watching me specifically that if anything happened to me, if I had to get on the run, that they're going to meet me somewhere. They're going to follow me or meet me at a distance and they're going to scoop me up. I had, I always had my own safety net. If anything ever happened, they watching from a distance, they can scoop me up, take me out of harm's way. So we got everybody in place. We pull up, we sit in our spot. We see the armored car pull up. I got a bulletproof vest on, gloves, ski mask, hoodie, everything. He got the same on. He's got a bulletproof vest. We have a driver. We're in the minivan. We seen the armored car pull up to the money store. The messenger, the messenger is a guy who, he's in the back. He does all the moving, moving the money, going to store. He's the messenger. And also the truck have a driver. The driver is the person that drives. He only drives. He cannot open the door, get out of the van. But he is, he have portholes that he's capable and able to be able to shoot from. So once the messenger got the doors open to the truck, he went inside the money store and came back out with a big like laundry bin full of money. We pull up to the side. And when we pull up to the side, I was the first person out of the minivan. I opened up the door. I had a, a 40 four red desert eagle red hawk desert eagle some shit and um when i came out the minivan the the messenger seen me left all the money right there and ran to the front of the truck i went to the to the rear of the truck stood right here just to see where he went i turned back around to start grabbing the money to throw into the minivan my guy he stood at the back of the truck watching the messenger at the front of the truck. So when I went to grab the money to throw in the back of the truck, it slipped because of the gloves. It was saran wrapped money in a square about this big right here. Saran wrapped together with, I think it was in some kind of cloth material wrapped first and then it was wrapped with plastic. So when I went to try to grab it, having the gun right here the money slipped out my hand that's when the messenger started shooting at my guy so they started exchanging gunfire back and forth so i went down to try to grab the money again and it was so freaking heavy i couldn't get it to throw it in the minivan the driver started shooting at me i grabbed my i grabbed my 44 and i upped it into the back of the truck where the driver was and now, I granted, we have a truck, I don't know, maybe what, 10 feet, 10 feet long, 9, 10 feet long, I'm not sure how long a truck is, I'm a truck, but I know personally that the driver was no more than like seven, six, seven feet from me sitting in the back of the truck. I'm standing in the center of the back of the truck with the doors open. He has two portholes that he can shoot out of. I am standing there when I up to 44 on the first pull when I pulled it the gun from the concussion from the pressure from the gun it just started going off boom 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 because I tried to shoot it with one hand. Now the driver is shooting at me through the hole 
and I'm still trying to handle this gun shooting back at him. And he's shooting at me through the porthole. And we, I, when, when I turned to my right and I seen that the minivan was starting to leave, I then turned around this way to my left and I ended up dropping the gun. On the, it slipped out of my hand. I dropped the gun. I ran and jumped inside the minivan because the sliding door was open on the minivan and this guy was waiting for his brother to get in because he was going to fucking leave me. That's the only thing I can think of. He was going to leave me. If I wouldn't have made it to that van, he was going to leave me. At the time I'm running to jump inside the minivan, the driver and the messenger is shooting out all the windows in the minivan. So when I dived in it, by me diving in it, kept me down, kept me from being able to get shot. But I, I got shot in my heel, and my buddy's brother got shot in the back of his head, which grazed him, and he was bleeding from the back of his head down. I had on a black bulletproof vest, and he had on a white bulletproof vest. So I can see the blood leaking from his head down on the bulletproof vest because it was white and the blood was red. So I was like, damn, trying to figure out where he got hit at, but it had got hit grazed in the back of his head and started leaking onto the vest. So we made it to our second vehicle, as a well, we, we was getting away. They were just running down the road. The the driver, I mean the messenger, running down the road, just shooting out the van, trying to stop the van from getting away. So we got to the light. The light was red. He wanted to stop at the light. I like, man, go, go, go. I made him run the light. Go to our second vehicle. We got to the second vehicle. We changed cars, and um, we made across the bridge, back across. Um, I think we came Howard Franklin across the Howard Franklin Bridge. And inside the vehicle, he was saying that he was going to Orlando to take his brother because his his aunt was a nurse in Orlando and he wanted to seek medical attention from his brother with a gunshot wound in the back of his head. So all this going on, I make it back to my place. I'm chilling. I'm kind of like stressing going by what just fucking took place and at the um, at the money store, us trying to rob this armored car. So I, um, you know, my girl, she knows all about it and everything, and, and she kind of comfort me. And we're watching TV, watching a movie or something. I get a knock at the door. I get this knock at the door, and. My girl goes to answer the door, and it's Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. So I'm like, fuck, oh, shit. So she's like, um, um, yeah, he's here. Like, what, what are you here for? It's like, oh, he's got a warrant out for his arrest for um, domestic violence. I'm like, fuck. And she's like, no, I dropped the charges. There was something. We had a little disagreement, a little argument, and I dropped the charges on him. And, um, you know, I'm not holding any charges against him. And he was like, well, um, the judge still want to see him. They still got the charges for um, domestic violence, so we're going to have to take him out, but he can, um, you can come and bond him out. So I was like, fuck, I can't believe it. After what just took place today, this guy is coming to arrest me on a domestic violence charge. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to keep my cool because <laughs> I just uh, had to go along with it. I didn't want to bring no attention to myself. So he arrests me. He take me. 
uh, down around the corner. I think at, at the time I stayed on like Sly and 50th Street. He pulled into like a, a vacant apartment complex to do his paperwork. And at that time, he let me use his personal phone to call my girl to just talk to her while he does the paperwork. So after doing the paperwork, we proceeded to go to Orient Road, which I was booked in at on domestic violence charge. And I had to go in front of the judge in order for him to see what we, you know what was going to take place. So now, that night, I'm going through it. I'm stressing. I'm like, damn, I just fucking tried to rob this armored car. This man coming. I don't want to be in here, and they find out it's me, and then get them try to, oh, Lord, shit, I got to get the hell out of here. I was like, man, this is not good. So I'm, I'm um, inside my cell. I'm tripping. I'm like, man, how did this fucking happen? After what happened today, now I'm fucking in here they, on the same freaking day. I was like, okay, I'm just wait till I see the judge. So I laid down to go to sleep. I think I was in the cell by myself at this time. It wasn't too busy, too crowded inside the pod. It was just like a one-man cell. Um, I fell asleep. Inside of me sleeping, I'm having this dream about the armored car robbery that happened earlier that day. I'm playing this shit back in my head inside my dream. In my dream, I'm seeing everything that took place, me coming out, shooting slow motion, everything moving in slow motion. But it was just one particular thing inside the dream that was going that was going on that was confusing the hell out of me. While I was standing or sleeping inside my dream, I kept hearing this sound it was like But I'm dreaming and I'm like not knowing, not not really sure what, what was that noise, where was it coming from? I know I was dreaming, so I was like, fuck. But when when I'm hearing that noise, I wake up in like a cold sweat. I'm like, oh, fuck, damn. What was that noise? What was that noise? So I said, you know what? I'm going to go back to sleep. I'm going to lay back down. I'm going to go back to sleep. I'm going to go back to that dream, and I'm going to figure out my stuff. I'm going to figure out what the fuck is that noise. So I... Somehow I lay back down, I fell asleep, and um, I went right back to that dream. And inside the dream, I'm seeing it all again, but I'm telling myself I need to slow it down, slow the dream down before I can see exactly where that noise is coming from. And inside that dream, when I slowed it down, that noise was coming from bullets, the bullets that was being shot from the driver who was shooting through the portholes at me. They were just whizzing by me, and that was that noise that I heard in my dream. So I was like, fuck, man, this guy's rat no more than five, six feet from me, shooting at me, but the bullets are going around me. I'm like, I have some angels. Um, anyway. Eventually, I got a chance to see the judge, and um, and I think I was on probation at the time. He just reinstated my probation, brought me back in front 
with the person who dropped the charges against me and just closed the case on the domestic violence charge because the person who dropped the charges wasn't going to testify against me. So I don't think at that time state was picking up cases and stuff like that. It wasn't just that serious. But um, I ended up getting that that case dropped and um, just end up finished doing my probation for whatever else I think I had like a grand theft auto or something that I was on at the time so as time went by I, I kind of chilled out chilled out on doing banks and stuff I was you know just doing little petty ends and all that things you know making a few hundred dollars a day here and there you know had a little uh, connections with weed and just doing a couple of sex here and there with friends and you know family and people who you know were smoking and wanted to smoke I was just trying to make a few dollars that way and um, after that I decided to get back in the nick of things I had this girl come up to me who was my girl's best friend. And you know, I, I hadn't robbed the bank or did anything in quite some time. But I was okay as far as money was concerned, you know, I, I wasn't hurting for nothing. And um, I had this girl come up to me and she was like, bro, I need you. And I'm like, damn. She's like, man, you're not gonna believe. I had, I end up having a, uh, um, a accident in Ebor over the weekend, and um, you know, this girl pulls up and and I, she ends up slamming on her brakes and I end up hitting her from the back. But we both got out of the car and we went and looked at the car and I didn't have any damage to my car and she didn't have any damage to her car and we just agreed that it was okay. We was just gonna go off, but. I found that she called the cops and said I did a hit and run. I was like, what? Are you serious? She's like, yeah, man. She ended up fucking calling the cops, so I want to get my, I have that little bit of damage on my car right there. I just want to get that fixed, and um, I just want to paint my car for, for they won't know it was me. I like, so what you want me to do? She's like, man, I will do anything, man. So I don't know what you be doing, but I know you be coming up with money and stuff, but I'll do whatever you can do in my car, I'll drive, whatever you want to do. I'll do, I'll do it staying up to get out of this jam with this car. I'm like, damn. i like, man, I'll see what's up. I'll see what's up. I'll get back with you. So I'm thinking like, damn, man, this girl going to be messing with me about trying to help her get some money, and I definitely don't want to come out of my pocket. I was like, I don't mind doing something to get a few extra dollars, but it's got to be the right thing. So I went on a scout. I went out looking around, try to find something close in the area that we had to go too far, and um, that I can be able to help this girl before she can be able to get out of her, her little jam. So I found one which was on Himes. I think it was like a little sun bank or some type of bank, a little sun bank or something on Himes, right between Hillsboro and MLK. And it was like perfect to me because it had those high branches that was like 
hiding the building for the people, the passerby as the cars going down the street. Couldn't really see what was going on because they had those high bushes so high that was surrounding the building. So I'm like, damn, okay, cool. I was like, all right, let me get everybody up together. We're going to get these, get all the stuff I'm going to need to be able to pull this off. And uh, since I'm already got a stolen car hidden over here, I don't have to use a second car because I'm going to have her use her car. That's how I'm going to use her. I'm going to have her use her car. I'm going to break her off with just doing that right there and then, you know, make me a few dollars in the process. So I say, look, man, check this out. I'm finna get ready and do this lick. I don't did I tell her? Yeah, I told her it was a bank, but I just wanted her to wait for me in the spot in my second location. She didn't really have to have too many, too much ideas of what was going on, but I just wanted her to be the second vehicle and be in that location. Cool. So I got my people together, so we went, we went in, pulled the lick off. Um, end up getting like twenty one, twenty two thousand out of there. Um, got back to the to where the second car was at. Left the stolen vehicle there. Jumped into her vehicle, not knowing at the time that when we transferred from one vehicle to the next, there was somebody on the second floor in the apartment looking out the window at us. So we got in the vehicle, switched cars, got in her vehicle, proceeded to go to where I left my vehicle at before we can just leave her vehicle over here in another apartment complex off of MLK, got in my vehicle, went back to my place, broke bread, broke everybody off, and um, everybody went on a separate way. So this is the story that I heard that in the process of us dropping off the first vehicle to get in her vehicle. The guy up top seen us getting in her vehicle. I don't know if he got her tag number. I know he got the make and model, but I'm not sure if he got the tag number or not. But when the police and the helicopter was looking for the first vehicle, they seen I had ducked and tucked it over in this apartment complex. They had to see it from a helicopter because you couldn't see it from the road because you turn in and go right there. You had, you know, you had to pull in and be searching or see it from the helicopter. They came over there to get the first vehicle that we went up in the bank in, and they were looking for witnesses, people who seen anything. So the guy on the second floor who was looking out the window must have seen all the police and the cops down there looking at the vehicle we had just left there. And he decided to come down and tell his side of the story, so to speak. Excuse me. So when this guy come down to tell his side of the story, he told the, he told the cops exactly what he seen. Oh yeah, I seen like three, four people. Come get out of this car. They got in another car. They got in this car and decided to head pull out and head to um, Armenia because we were closest to Armenia than we were to Himes and Havana. So we pulled out, made that right turn, and got on Armenia and headed our, to our, um, to the location to um, distribute the money. Now, they 
got the information about her car from the guy on the second floor. So when he gave them the color of the car, the making the model and shit, they started looking for that vehicle. And they found it in the second location that we put it off into another apartment complex. They ran the VIN number, got her tag number, and found out it was her car. Um, at that time, if I can remember correctly, she... I'm not sure how it went down, man. Only thing I know is they knew about her car and they were on her ass. She called me up and told me, man, these people are saying my car was used in some kind of robbery, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I was like, what you said? Like, yeah, it wasn't me. That couldn't have been my car. It got to be somebody else. Or whatever. I like, you just stick with that story. You don't know shit. Just tell them just like that. So I'm like, oh shit, it's about to go down. So now they got some information about the car that was used, the person who might have been involved and stuff like that. So you already know they're going to be watching. So I'm trying to keep my distance from that person and my furthest distance as possible from that person. But somehow the person, okay, so her nephew used to do little in-law jobs with me, you know, little weed and stuff. We used to go get little stolen items, selling stuff like that. And um, he knew about the things I did, and he was connected to her. So somehow he had some kind of connections with the police. He was involved in some kind of uh, home invasion, and... Um, they found in his house a jacket that he had stole from a squat team member's house in Brandon. So he was already in the system on investigation, talking to the police anyway. Somehow he mentioned my name. I got involved, so they had been watching me. I didn't even know. So around December 23rd, which was my birthday, so like, well, yeah, on my birthday, I woke up that morning. And um, we decided we were going to go deep sea fishing out clear water on the double eagle, deep sea fishing. So I was like, okay, my birthday, I'm going fishing. So we're going to take my daughter and drop her off at the daycare. And then um, my son was going to go with me. I had my son too, Julian. He was with me. So we went to drop my daughter off. Well, before I went to drop my daughter off, when I, when I came outside to get in the vehicle, there was a fucking large, like, white bread bus, like those bread, those those um those buses that carry bread, like Wonder Bread trucks, like almost like a box truck kind of thing. Well, it was like a brand new one sitting outside in front of my house with you know all the other cars and stuff in the parking lot next to my car with dark tinted windows. You couldn't see in it, and at the time we were having um fiber octa lines put down in the apartment complex. So I'm thinking that these was the guys who was working for the fiber optic and um, they parked so fucking close to my car that I wasn't able to open up the, the passenger side of the door to put my daughter in the car seat. So I'm like, I'm trying to look into this fucking van. I'm trying to look into it, but the window's so dark and I'm walking around by the pool. I'm carrying her. I'm walking around by the pool. I'm like, these motherfuckers, they better be glad. So I had to put her in through the driver's side 
to the car seat, lean over and put her in the car seat and then, you know, get in. And um, I had to pull out and let my son get in through the passenger side and let my girl get in in the front passenger side. So we decided to leave, we pull out and um, I'm going to drop my daughter off to the daycare and then I was gonna get some, some breakfast from McDonald's and head back to the house to pick up all the fishing gear and head out to Clearwater. So I'm not knowing at this time, the whole time that I have the feds, FBI following me around, I'm not even knowing, I'm fucking, I was, sm I was smoking that morning, I was high, so I wasn't really paying attention, it was my birthday, so it wasn't enough to me to be paying attention that closely to vehicles around me, I guess, I don't know. But <clears throat> I end up going by a friend of mine and let him know that, uh, you know, I'm going out to Clearwater. He owned a pawn shop that used to be right down Hillsborough and like Rome, Rome, some yeah, like Rome, Hillsborough and Rome. He owned this pawn shop. His name was Rock, Rockamore, a real good friend of mine. And um, I stopped by and said, hey, man, check this out. My birthday today, I'm going out to Clearwater. He's like, hey, man, when you get finished coming back from fishing, just come over here. I got something for you. I said, all right, cool, I'll I see you when I get back. So I turned out of the pawn shop, cause I live right down the street from where his pawn shop was at, an apartment complex over there. So I pulled out, I'm heading down towards the apartment complex. I pulled right in front of my apartment and I'm getting ready to get out. So I put the car in park and I look up to the left side of, I lived on the right side on the second floor, but I looked up on the left side on the second floor, I seen two white guys with like, they had on the same thing, like jeans and like just two shirts, white shirts. I'm thinking they might be like um, some cable guys or, you know, someone trying to sell something. So I happened, I just peeked up there and I seen them. So I put the car in park. When I turned the car off and went to open up the door, the whole squad team that was in that band was on my ass. And they were so happy they got me. They were like, persistent pays, all right. And um, the one guy's like, hi, hey, how you doing? I'm I'm in charge here. I'm Sergeant McLemire, and happy birthday. And um, persistent pays, we've been out here since 6 o'clock in the morning. We could have got you when you first came out with your daughter, but we didn't want to do it that way. We didn't want to traumatize your kids, so we waited to a a convenient time for us to get you, so you know this guy, you know that guy, and long story short, I was booked in a where I went to Orient Road, and then they moved me from Orient Road to uh, Morgan Street, which was um, our county and federal holo facility in Hillsborough County. I was booked in, and I never seen the streets again for eight years. That day, I was booked in. I was charged with armored car robbery and some home invasion kind of stuff that the kid had told the sheriff about. That's how they got on to me, and then they started connecting the dots and putting everything together. So I was booked in for armored car robbery and approximately six to seven 
home invasions. At that time, I was like, I'm never gonna, boy, look, I'm never gonna see the streets again. I'm never gonna get out. Matter of fact, the feds came to interview me. They pulled me into the room and they go, you might as well tell us everything you know because you're never gonna see the streets again. I'm like, shit, since I'm never gonna see the streets again, I ain't telling y'all shit. I'm never seeing the streets again. Ain't no sense in me having to say anything to y'all. Well, we got your wife. We're going to get your wife, too. And, and you know what? She's going away for a long time. I'm like, hey, man, y'all do what you got to do. You do what you got to do. I ain't telling y'all shit. I don't know shit. I ain't never seen the streets again. So they left. They were pissed. So they took me back to, the, to my um, cell. I called my girl up. I said, hey, man, look, don't ever, don't leave the house. Stay in my mom's house, don't leave, because they say they're going to get you, they're going to charge you with this, that, and the other. So if I was you, I wouldn't leave. Just stay in the house. So the, day, the next day, she gets up. She tried to leave. She decides she want to go out from my mom's house on 34th and MLK, go to the bus stop and get on the bus and head down to her mom's house. So as soon as she came out of the house and went and stood on MLK, the feds pulled up to her and arrested her with my daughter and took her and booked her in and charged her with all these charges that they tried to throw on me. The reason why they did that because they wanted her to tell on me. And I told her, look, man, do what you gotta do. You have to be on the street, tell them whatever you feel like you have to tell them. You know, do what you got to do. Don't worry about me. I got me. So um, they let her out, and she, I guess she was, like, showing them that she was trying to, she was cooperating with them, you know, you know, telling them so much, telling them pretty much the shit they already knew to try to make it look like she was working with them. And then uh I like, man, look, don't even sweat it. Just do what you got to do. Shit, I'm the one who got myself in this. I'm the one going to get myself out. So when I got booked in at uh, Morgan Street, I already know about not talking to people when you get booked in. People try to get on your case. They want to try to get time cut, reduced from telling on you or what you said to them, make up shit. So you do not talk to no one, period. You try to refrain from having conversation with anybody when you place in that position. So one day, like my second or third day in there, I think I'm having chow or after chow or something, and I had this old black man come up to me that I never, I never talked to this guy. I don't even remember if I ever seen him before in there, but he just came up to me and he goes, hey buddy, he's like, you, uh, you ever heard of a proffer agreement? I say proffer agreement, no. He's like, well, if you ever did anything out there and you never got caught for it, you may ask your lawyer about a proffer agreement because if you go on this and you get sentenced for this this charge right here, and then somebody out there say, oh, I did this with Rob, Batman was there, I did this with him, then they can come reindict you and give you a consecutive sentence on top of the sentence that you're on. I'm like, damn. Really? So I know I had did like 10 bank robberies. I was like, oh, freak. Man, I'm going to call my lawyer. 
So I called my lawyer and I said, hey, buddy, uh, how you doing, sir? I like, um, you ever heard of a proffer agreement? I was like, what's a proffer agreement? He's like, a proffer agreement if you have some, some, some crimes that was committed and they were never solved, no one's never been charged with it, and it have to be information that the prosecutor or, or whoever they're, they're willing to, to listen, it has to be something they think that's good, substantial, that um, they can be able to crack these, solve these cases. I like, what if I know about somebody that robbed 10 banks? Because I, I really didn't want to put me out there right then yet. So I said, what if I know about someone who robbed 10 banks? And he's like, if you know about someone who robbed 10 banks, you're going home tomorrow. And I was like, really? I'm like, damn, I'm going home? He's like, man, if you if you know about 10 banks that never, the guy never got caught, you're going home. I was like, okay, well, hey, go tell them, whoever you need to talk to, tell them that I know about 10 banks and I, I want to um, see what they can do. So he went and talked to um, the federal prosecutor at the time. And my federal prosecutor, man, I can't, he was a black guy. He was a black federal prosecutor. And I can't remember his name, but I do want to say like a year or two later after our sentence, he left being a prosecutor here in Florida and went to Washington, D.C. to be President Clinton's Secretary of State or Secretary of Defense or Secretary for something. And he came, talked to me, and told me, what the deal would be. He's like, look, I ain't making you no promises. I'm going to send two investigators to talk to you in the beginning of the week. And if it's something that I'm willing to listen to or something that I think might be good, helpful for, for my case, then I'll get with your lawyer and we'll let him know what we can do for you. I was like, okay, cool, shit. Because at the time, shit, I, don't, I wanted help. My PSI, my pre-sentence investigation report came back 27 years, and I just knew that, look, um, I got to be able to help myself some kind of way. So <clears throat> by the black gentleman telling me about the proffer uh, proper agreement was something that I like to see, something that I did. I don't have to say something about someone else. It's something that the crimes that I committed, if I can use that to get leniency towards my case, or my sentence, then cool, the best for me. So I um, I end up being called out that Monday. Now, like I was saying earlier, my prosecutor ended up, like a year later, going to work for Clinton in the White House. And how I know about this is because I was sitting there after, after my sentencing, I got moved to Brooksville, Hernando County. That was a federal holdover. It was like a CCA, a private jail. And um, <clears throat> I was just sitting in the TV room one day watching the news or something, and a picture of my prosecutor came up saying that he just got promoted to Secretary of State or Secretary of Defense or something working for President Clinton. I was like, fuck, I can't believe this, this mother. But anyway. So on that Monday, he sent two agents over to talk to me. 
and asked me about the information that I was talking to my lawyer and, and the federal prosecutor about. And I told him, all right, come in. How y'all doing? My name's Robert Edwards. We went inside the chapel. They had a seat. I had a seat. And I told them about the very, very first bank I robbed. And that was the bank where the guy started crying. He didn't want to rob it with me. I had to put him out at the, at the Crystal's Hamburger, and I proceeded to do the bank without him. So I told them about that bank. It took approximately an hour, an hour and a half to tell them how I came from point A to point B, how I, when, when I told them about the bank robbery, I told them about everything, the planning, how I came up with the idea, how, what, what I wanted them to know specifically about everything that took place in order for me to be able to pull it off. I mean, because the people already said, look, don't hold shit back. If you, we want to know everything. If you tell us or lie to us about anything, we'll take it away. We won't give you credit for the information that you gave us. I'm like, well, I'm going to make sure they have know everything. So, um, so anyway, I told the story about the first bank I robbed. I think I only told like one or two. I think I was able to get into the second bank at that time after I told about the first bank. There was a, a older um, FBI agent and a, and a younger one. The older one was approximately, I'm going to say like 65. And the younger guy, he was like in his early 30s. So when I told him about that first bank that I robbed on Hillsborough and Habana. I we finished up that day. I went back to my cell, and they came the following day. Now, when they came to get me the following day, the two um, agents was already there waiting for me outside the door of the chapel. And as I'm walking up with the CEO, the younger guy came up to me like he was like, "Oh fuck, hey bro, man, you know I went back and um." I, I I I pulled the movie. I pulled the um the the video recording of the bank that you robbed on Hillsborough and Havana. He's like, bro, fuck. Soon as you open up the door, your first step, you're over the fucking counter like so fast. He's like, man, why aren't you playing basketball or football? He's like, man, you're fucking foot quick. You were in and out of that place. And I'm and I'm standing there looking at him like, okay, yeah. I'm like thinking to myself like. This is an FBI guy. He's like fucking pulling me. He's like pulling my dick about what I've done. Or, you know, he's like cheering for me, like, you know, boosting up my ego or something. And I was like, wow. He's like, man, bro, you should be playing football or basketball or something because as soon as you open up the door, your first step, you're over the counter, like in one leap. And I was like, <laughs> I had to do what I had to do. I had to get in and out. But anyway, uh, make a long story short, I proceeded to finish up telling them about the banks that I robbed, how I did it, where they were done, how much money was taken, what I was wearing at the time. And by me doing that, they knocked from a 27-year sentence, knocked me down to a 10-year sentence. They knocked 17 years off my sentence by me telling them about the 10 banks that I robbed and never got caught for it. Now, I'm not saying that I'm proud or I'm bragging about anything I've done. 
I guess at the time it was something that I felt like I had to do at the time because of the situation I was in. I felt like by me getting a job, having to put a week in, you know, a week in a hole before you get your first check and I'm already behind in my rent. I'm already late on my electric, even though there was no excuse, but I felt like I needed money then. Um, I feel like everything I did throughout my life made me the person I am today. I respect me a lot because I'm still a people person. I still, you know, help people on the street. Um, I ran my own business. I had at least throughout the years, in the last 12 years of me running my own business, I had at least 15 people working for me. And you can ask any one of the 15 people about me what kind of person I am. Um, I'm always going to be good at what I do. Um, I'm the type of person that feels like if I'm going to do it, I'm going to put my best into it or I'd rather not do it at all. Um, I'm going to be the best. I'm, I don't even compete with people anymore because I ain't going to outdo anybody who in the ring with me pretty much, so to speak, because that's what type of person I am. That's what kind of work mentality I have. I want to be the best. I want to be the best at what I do. And if I do it, I want to be the one that stand out doing it. And me robbing 10 banks, me robbing 10 banks for such a period of time, never getting caught. I never once got caught in the action. They never even got close. But I could say this, that about all the people in the world, I'm probably one of, I'm, I'm very few people that's walking the street that's robbed 10 banks in an armored car and still out here on the bricks. I mean, my brother-in-law came to me one time. He said to me, like, man, I'm going to be honest with you. Ain't many people out here like you. And I was always used to be like, damn, what do you mean? Robbed 10 banks in an armored car. It's not like stealing some gum inside a candy store. It's not like jumping over somebody's fence and taking a basketball out of their yard. And I'm still able to sit here and tell my story when every time, each and every time, my life and freedom was jeopardized. So I wouldn't really take back anything I ever did throughout my life because of the simple fact I think that made me the person I am today. For a fact, I know it made me the person I am today. And I'm 56 years old, and I really enjoy being the person I am today regardless of my past, my background, my history. If I was to die today, I'm comfortable with everything I did throughout life. I'm happy just for me being able to make it to this age and be in the condition and the shape and the health that I'm in. 
because of I didn't have a hard, hard life, but it wasn't a silver spoon. It wasn't easy. And I just want to thank everyone for listening to me, and I hope you enjoyed my story. Batman Forever. So if you like that that style of interview, uh, Rob's story, do me a favor and go to the description. Uh, click on the link. It will bring you to the channel Inside the Darkness. And subscribe. There should be a bunch of full-length vid videos. By the time this is posted, there should probably be five or six videos up. And I, I appreciate you guys, uh, I appreciate you watching. And if you enjoyed this video or any of the videos on the channel, please subscribe and share the videos. And hey, do me a favor and share uh, Inside the Darkness to any of your friends and family that will subscribe. And I really do appreciate it. And thank you for watching. See ya.